Hey everybody, welcome to the new episode of In Love With The Process. This is actually uh, a continuation from the last episode with my special guest Lance Williams and assistant Dave here with me. Um, we have enough to talk about uh, today that I figure why not just break it into two. Um, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I would stop right now and go back and listen to it because you may be lost and uh, I don't want to lose you because um, I love you guys and you're really important to who I am as a director and, uh, uh, you know, making my life uh, meaningful. <laughs> That's really depressing. <laughs> it, it started really sweet and then it got really sad really quickly. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's just get right back into it. Um, so we have been talking about um, uh, my latest film project, uh, title of which I cannot tell you yet. Um, but uh, Lance was on set helping us out, um, and Dave was on set for the piece. Uh, and I just want to give a lot of uh, the young filmmakers out there just sort of an insight into how I put these these things together um, and uh, where they go. And <clears throat> I call these, I don't call them, it is a proof of concept film. That's, that's what they call them in the industry. Um, it's the best way to... Um, introduce your style, your vision to the folks that will hopefully one day finance your films. Um, and it's the best way to take an idea and uh, have as many people on the same page with you when you're trying to pitch it and trying to make it as a feature. Um, okay, so that being said, let's see here. Um, what do you find? Let me just ask you a couple questions because you were you saw me doing this is Dave. You saw me doing uh, the prep for this film. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any questions for me on how anything was pulled together? Let's let's sort of throw. Um, I mean, I, I remember you talked about this a little bit in the last one, but uh, when you guys were writing the script, uh, I was on the Bose shoot, um, and we you showed me the script, and you know it was like months later we're back on set. Um, so I was kind of there for a lot of it, or at least in and out. Um, but it was cool. I mean, it, it just felt kind of like rallying the troops and, you know, reaching out to a bunch of people. And um, it felt on set like a lot of friends, which was cool because it was it was a totally, totally comfortable set. Um, you know, everyone was working and um, you could you could feel like that there was a connection that everyone had. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah, it's it's very important that, uh, like as a creator, I need to have folks around me that I actually want to spend 15 hours with and uh, folks around me that, that inspire and, and um, really make the projects what they are. Because I think a lot of the time as a director, you get a lot of credit for work that other people are doing for you. Um, and it's just, A, it's really important that I have those folks around to, to cover my ass when I don't know what the fuck to do, but also um, to be there as inspired to just inspire the work um, and help support stuff and I, for me if you work for me and you do a great job then you're in the club and you're always gonna have an offer to be on whatever shoot that I have um, so I, anyway so uh, let's talk about um, one of the most important parts of so the last episode I talked about uh, getting the cast and crew uh, lined up we talked about Gene um, my rest of my cast on this piece, uh, amazing actress, uh, Shay Whitehead. I had not worked with her before. Um, and I actually found her through Instagram, believe it or not, because I've done enough casting sessions in this city. I think, I think one of the things that Boston has trouble with is retaining its great talent. 
uh, I think a lot of the actors, once they get a good position, um, they have to go to New York or Los Angeles. And I agree with that because they have to be where the work is. Uh, as an actor, it feels like you're completely reliant upon having a, sh a show show up, reliant upon having directors that want to hire you. Um, and I think that being in any other city than the cities that have the big agents uh, is probably a mistake for an actor. Um, so that being said, it's always a tough thing for me when I'm casting, um, <clears throat> especially if I'm casting for roles that I don't already have friend actors that I've worked with that I could just slot into those positions. Um, and I had done a, a, quite a few casting sessions in this city uh, looking for mothers, quote unquote, like a mom. Um, for other commercials and stuff and there's great talent in the city but there wasn't that specific look that I was going for for this which is that sort of classic Hitchcockian you know um, leading lady um, and I had found Shay through uh, Instagram and I I saw a couple of uh, clips from performances that she had done and they were fantastic and she just had the right look um, and it was great and She's done fantastic work on a bunch of indies, and I think this was the largest piece that she had worked with any director on. Um, you know, and it it's quite a... I'm sure it must be quite a thing to walk onto a set and see, like, a crew of, like, 40 fucking people and then try to do what it is that you do mm. in front of that stuff. Um, yeah, there's a lot of... There's so many variables to that. I mean, it's... You have your performance that you want to bring. You have this relationship with the director, hopefully, by that point. Uh, but then you're right. You get there, and... Let's say if it's especially an emotionally charged moment, you have to be vulnerable for the people who, one, gave you the job, so that's okay already. But now there's like at least, at minimum, 10 other people you don't know just staring at you crying and staring at you trying to deliver these lines and you have to know how to break away from that. So when you first hit the door, yeah, like it's it's absolutely something that's got, that crosses your mind as an actor. Anybody says otherwise is full of shit. Yeah, I, and like, I was concerned about it. She did such a fantastic job. I mean, because we had only met, I think we went and had beers, you know, and then uh, we did a couple of rehearsal sessions prior to it. And then, boom, she's thrown right into the mix of it. And I, I know that there are people out there that promise the world and then you sort of show up and it's like two guys and a boom operator, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And you're in the basement and you're, you're, you're trying to do your own makeup. Um, our our Mike, shoot is that happened to you. Yeah, <laughs> that's like that was a very knowing story. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. For that for that one film I did Mike years said, ago. I was doing my makeup in the basement. Some 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 twelve km, and now here we are. I'm <laughs> Dirty mattress, no shirt on. You know, it was really weird. It was very uncomfortable. It was art. So. <laughs> um, so I I think she got thrown into like this this uh, crazy world. Um, that we create on set, and then she stepped up. She did a fantastic job. Uh, worked with her, and then uh, my other actress, Maggie. I'm a fucking piece of shit because I cannot pronounce your last name, Maggie. It is intense. I will get it right on the next podcast. I just never asked her, and it's one of those things. I'm such an asshole. I'm going to admit this. I'm such a fucking asshole when it comes to names. Like Literally, if I meet someone for the first time, my brain can't register names unless I say that name like five times. Mm. And I don't know what it is. It's, I'm going to blame it on the head injury. I'm just going to come right out and say that. It's, like before it's, that, I was really I, good I knew, with names. I knew everybody's name. I knew everybody. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the head injury. I'm going to say, you know what, I can't remember names. But Maggie, she is fucking phenomenal in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. She came on board. We, I actually cast her through a casting agency. Um, 
uh, slate casting agency here in, in, in Boston, and uh, I needed to find a young um, babysitter. And you know, I, I you worked with Slate on this for this. That's good. They're, yeah. they're one of the I think like one of the newest casting yeah. agencies in the city, and they're making moves, man. Aaron's Aaron hooked us up. Yeah, he's really great, and uh, <clears throat> we ended up seeing. Uh, working with kids is always a fear of, of, of any filmmaker, and I've done it quite a few times on commercials. Um, and I knew that I needed to find a, uh, a young girl that could just, on her face, uh, show fear and show anxiety. Um, and so I, I only saw like six people, and uh, Maggie was the last one to come in. And Maggie was actually a bit older than I thought that I wanted. Um, but she came in and she just fucking turns it on, man. Like when you guys finally see the short, you'll see she has this ability. She turns on these tears and I just tease her when I see her on set. I'm like, you're a fucking great liar. Like I would hate to be your older brother, <laughs> you know, because you just like, ah, yeah, and just start crying like immediately. She's fucking great at it. Another thing too is what she, what she did with uh, so many silent moments was powerful because a lot of times we think that we can only act when we're talking mm -hmm. or given some big action to do but there's so much to be said in silence or and so much to be done with the eyes and she sold it every single time yeah yeah i mean like when you're watching you're like what the fuck take are you going to use because this is like all of it's good like, yeah. have fun and because jesus she's got so much to watch yeah and then it starts it's it's weird how that progression happens especially when you're getting in the edit room because then you're when you're first rolling and the first time you do it you're just crossing your fingers going like mm -hmm. please 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 be good and then you see it and you go oh shit that was great you know, and it's like, okay. And then that, that stress level kind of goes down a bit because you, you have one in the can where you're like, uh, all right, cool, do another one. Then she does another one like it. And you're like, oh, shit, all right, well, let's do another one. And then she does something else that's completely different. You're like, oh, fuck, this that's is really also great. good. This is really great. And so then you start to see it multiple times and you go, oh, how am I ever going to figure this out? Um, and that's a longer story for the edit. Because... <sighs> And to sort of like tease that story. The thing that's interesting about cutting is that when you're on set, you have a plan. If you're if you're a smart, uh, responsible director, if you're a responsible director, you do your homework. Let me say that again. If you're a responsible director, you do your homework. So many, so many directors that don't. Um, <clears throat> whether it's uh, storyboarding, shot listing, um, you, you do your homework and you basically create a movie on page first. Mm. Straight up. That way, when you pull all these people together, um, you know that if uh, you know everybody uh, worked 15 hours and everybody comes in tired, or you guys are all hungover, you can just fall back on the boards. You can fall back on the shot list and have a fucking movie shot. And so, for me, I try to put all that stuff together. I do my boards. I do my shot lists. Um, I work with uh, David Kruda, the DP, for the shots, and I work with um, uh, Vlad who's my uh, assistant director on the day and the scheduling of it all. Uh, and we try to make sure that I get the pieces that I need uh, to cut together a film. And that's really what the goal is on set, especially on something like this where you have like a 15-hour day. I have way too many fucking setups because that's the way I shoot. So we do like 30 setups in a day, mm. which is like astronomical. Um, and so everything is down to the wire. Everything's like boom, 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 completely scheduled. And I bang these things out. And then if I, I try to reserve, like, I can only afford to reserve, like, one or two takes where we mix it up a little bit and we just try something different. 
because then what happens when you get into the edit room is that you take this plan that you had uh, on paper and then you start to uh, deal with the realities of, of, of life. <laughs> and all these realities are desperately trying to take your plan and throw it out. And you're actually falling back and relying upon all these weird alternate takes that, that you never thought were going to be what it is. And sometimes, like, I will see a scene that I had planned out. And because of, you know, we couldn't use the same door and we couldn't get the camera to move the right way. Or we couldn't get this thing to happen. The, the tone disappears. And the only true thing in that raw footage for that scene is that weird take that happens. So then I start with that weird take and then I build backwards off of that. So, um be open. I guess the lesson there is that when you're shooting, have a fucking plan and then uh, be ready to get uh, weird, strange variations on your plan because in the edit room, uh, your plan could fall apart. That was a little bit of a rant and rave on that. No, Michael, it might continue. What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, you were talking about editing. I would imagine that in every podcast that we've done, Rant or tirade has been said maybe ten no less than ten times. <laughs> you need you need like a dinger, like a little thing, <laughs> like the <laughs> cinema sins, like just each time it goes. Exactly, man. I Which don't is know. good though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's tough. I just get like all of a sudden this blind fucking thing happens and I just start talking. Fuck. Uh, whatever, it's good. It's good stuff. I think you guys learned something in there, so it's yeah. good shit. Um, so um. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about. Yeah, hmm. What can we get into here? Bear with me, and you'll cut some of this stuff out. Let's talk about being on set, actually, because I, I don't know if we really sort of talked about that. We talked about the crew. We get we did the casting. We got our crew together. Um, uh, for me, because I, I end up producing most of my stuff, and I produced this film and directed this film, and you're always in this weird sort of headspace because when you're prepping it as a director, you're like, okay, here's the shots I want, and it's really creative, and you're looking for inspirations, and you're pulling these things together, and you on paper, you put together the movie that you really want to have done. And then you have to swap hats, and then you have to put on your producing hat. And you put on your producing hat, and you're like, all right, I got a cast, and I got to get my crew... Um, and then I gotta find a I gotta find a fucking house. I gotta figure out um, you know the logistics. Like how do I get props from uh, an hour and a half away? What kind of truck do I have to rent? How many people are needed to unload that truck? How many people are not needed to load that truck? And then the problem when you're producing and directing your own movie is that they start to bleed into each other. So as a producer, you start to understand the realities of what are happening, where it's like, oh shit, I can't get enough people to do this one shot. So then that shot starts to change and then the, the game starts to change, which is good because, you know, in real the real world, it's going to shape your movie and make it into a better thing. But it's this delicate balance of not letting one overtake the other, where as a producer, uh, you're not really changing the theme in the in the overall of the movie because logistically you can't pull these fucking things off. Um, and this on this piece was a big deal with with uh, the location. We ended up finding this, uh, and Gina found this house um, after we had gone through a bunch of different location guys and a bunch of different stuff, and I couldn't find the right house for this movie. Uh, Gina had just gone out once again drinking with some friends. And went to this house, and she's like, oh, I, I have this perfect place for you. And I was like, 
So you said once again. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, really? What's that? Of course, Gina would find all these places. And she's like, yeah, it's this house. It's, it's a little woody, though. Hmm. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? What does it mean? It's a little woody. Like, what does wood mean? She goes, well, it's just a house with a lot of wood in it. So I was like, what is it, like a lumberjack's house? Like, is it just stacks of fucking... cabin? Yeah, or... yeah. But... So we ended up going and I had hardwood floors. And I was like, oh, woody, hardwood. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> uh, but the place was fucking amazing. Like, the spot was built in, like, the um, mid-1800s. Uh, mid Huge, uh, with big rooms. And, um, uh, like, it actually had, like, you know, like, still had, like, slave quarters upstairs and, like, the whole kitchen. I had all that shit, which was really fucking cool. Um, and, uh, my original idea for this, I, for this treatment was that it was sort of like an everyday family that lived in like an everyday kind of home that, that has stuff happen to them. Um, but when I saw this house, I just couldn't, I couldn't say no to it because mm. it was, you walk in there and I've said this before, it's like being in the hotel at the shining or like being in like a, like a Guillermo movie where you're yeah. just like, fuck, you know, there's something really tangible in that, you know, when you walk on the set. And you're you're getting into your character, or building out the character as the day goes on, with different things. When you're in a literal setting versus being on a studio lot, you know, or a green room, there's something about that that builds the world for you and makes it even easier to slip into whatever this new psychosis is you have to develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, for me as a producer, I just was like, I, I cannot say no to this. And then at that point as a director, and I called up Will, the writer, and I'm like, we just got to change the script a little bit because this house is so fucking great. And I remember calling up the DP and I was like, dude, the rooms are massive and the fucking stairs, like I can literally on one stair side by side put five people on these stairs. I'm like, is this too big? Is this going to look like shit? And uh, he's like, we can always make, we, as, as a shooter, we can always make the room look smaller. Remember that? And I was like, oh, okay. It makes sense because now I can put Dolly Track down these halls and now I can do all that. And I was laughing when we were doing some of the later takes where we have the sequence down a hallway where we laid Dolly Track mm -hmm. and people were still cramming around the dolly yeah, to get yeah. around. And I was like, there's never a fucking enough room. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point because it's for as big as it did feel, there were moments where you're like trying to figure out how to get the fuck out of the way or not be in the way. Mm -hmm. And you think about when we broke everything down, I'm like, how, how is this a problem a minute ago? This shit is massive. Yeah, yeah. But when you guys finally see the film, you'll see that it feels pretty claustrophobic mm. and it, it still feels small. And, and there's a lot that can be done with your focal lengths and your, your lens choices mm. and, and how you block out scenes and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things I really liked about this house was that I was also able to set up, they have like this huge ballroom off to the left-hand side of the house, um, which we did like a massive craft sort of service area where we did uh, all the food and all the table stuff. And then our department was also in there. Um, and, uh, we also had, uh, two other rooms, one that I could do like an entire video village. Because on, on my movies, I like to have as many people come by and hang out as possible. Because it's, it's such a rare occasion that I actually put everything together and I have one of these sets. And anybody that has seen any of my old films, they're like, oh, I really wish I'd love to be on that kind of set. And I was like, yeah, I fucking wish you were there too. You know? And so for this one, we intentionally put together a whole video village area uh, where Dave was also doing his DIT on the Puget mm -hmm. system. Um, but I, I sort of had an open invitation to folks that wanted to come by and hang out. Yeah, it was, uh, I would always be like transferred stuff with the headphones on, and then I would just turn around, there'd be like five new people looking over my shoulder, like watching everything. <laughs> so it was, 
it's it's always a good thing because I like um, I like to have these people at monitor that are fresh eyes because uh, when you're uh, the person creating it or even if you're crew you start to read the script you start to get into it um, that initial in that initial reaction disappears because you're just sort of uh, jaded to what's happening and so it's nice sometimes to have new people on set because I could just walk in and start to be social in the downtime that we have for everything and just go like what did you think of that take and um, you know, the first response from everybody is like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. And I go, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But what did you think about that take? And then they're just like, oh, I didn't believe that this happened. And I, this sort of took me out of this little moment. And it's not like I'm going to do what they say, but it's just nice to see in the moment, like, what is responding with yeah. folks and how they're doing it. Because then I can make adjustments. It's good perspective. Yeah, man. It's, it's really cool. Um, actually, we should do a podcast with it. Uh, one of the people that comes on all my sets is uh, my mother, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, both my mom and my dad came to this one, which was cool. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, cool, cute is his mom. No, my mom is actually a really important part of my uh, film career because when I was a kid, she was the one that introduced me to, like, you know, Die Hard. She was the one that introduced me to Lethal Weapon. Uh, I love my dad, but he was, like, the Wizard of Oz kind of fucking guy. <laughs> I hate the Wizard of Oz. I hate that fucking movie. Uh, so uh, my mom and I would, would always be the two that would go watch, you know, Bruce Willis, you know, try to shoot his way in through a win window or, uh, you know, Mel Gibson uh, crying and putting a gun in his mouth. <laughs> Your mom, your mom made you sit down for that scene too. Yeah. <laughs> my mom, when I was when I when she had me watch when I was younger, she was like, "This is acting right here. If you want to do this, you have to know how to do this." I'm like, okay, so this is a lot of this a lot of weight there, mom. But all right. I just imagine you, ever since then, just sitting in a room by yourself with like a fake gun and putting it in your mouth. It's like it's just my fingers, and I'm like just like flicking water in my eyes, looking in the mirror, like I think I got it. <laughs> I miss you, babe. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like Bugs Bunny playing. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm um, ready. So yeah, so um, I, my mom is actually really great. She's been great on sets with me. And uh, when we were younger, uh, she, well, obviously, uh, she decided that she was going to be a stay-at-home mom, and she raised uh, the four of us, which I think is such a great decision to make. Um, and my dad is such a great dad. He's he's been involved with our family, and he's always been the one that goes to work. But I think a, a not enough credit is given to um, um, to a parent that decides that they're going to stay and raise children, especially today. Because um, if they weren't around to raise us, I'd probably be an even bigger piece of shit than I am right now. Um, <clears throat> so uh, she she always wanted to be a photographer, and she she kind of gave that stuff up when uh when she decided that she was going to be a, a decent human being and be a mom um and so once i got that career of uh or i got the ability to start shooting photographs i would invite her onto my sets and uh, i said to her like you know you want to come hang out she goes yeah I, one rule though i'm not your mother i'm an assistant and i was like well you're an old ass assistant <laughs> she's, she's like no i'm your assistant okay cool and so for years uh whenever i was shooting stuff I would always have my assistant Eileen there and I would get some weird looks from the clients like, who's this lady? And I was, she's my assistant, you know, chill, you know? And so like her and Tony would sit over the monitor and go through photographs and cause a lot of trouble. Um, but I remember, uh, and this is actually a really great uh, story about how it, it paid off. I, I did a job years ago 
for the Boston Phoenix, I was shooting uh, <clears throat> those end of the world photographs that I post all the time. And uh, it was the first time I had worked with these clients, uh, specifically these clients. And they brought me on to the set and they had like, they brought in a stylist that I had never worked with before. And they brought in all the stuff that I had never done before. And they had put all the stress on me to, to, to pull it off without any planning. And I remember being really fucking frustrated. Like everything I was shooting looked like shit. And I knew it looked like shit. I knew it was terrible because I had a hundred fucking people in my ears sort of going like, he has to be posed like this. And like, this has to happen and this has to happen. And so I was shooting this stuff and transferring this, this footage. And my mom was sitting at the computer looking at the, the stuff and I walked over to her and I was just incredibly fucking frustrated. And I look over her shoulder and I go, what do you think? And she goes, it sucks. Everything you're shooting is terrible. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. And I just put my head, I put my head in my hand and I go, I, I know it's fucking terrible. And she goes, you want my advice? And I go, yeah. And she goes, fuck them. Shoot however you want to shoot. The reason why you're here is because they hired you. The reason why you're here is because they like your look. So go in there and fucking forget anything that they're telling you and just shoot it however you would shoot it. And I went, okay. And I walked in the other room and I go, oh, my mom told me that I could fucking do this, so suck my dick. <laughs> just went and took them and pulled them off the set and put them onto a wall and did all that stuff. And, and the stuff that I had shot was just fantastic. And I still post it and still do it. Single-handedly because I had her there to be able to just sort of cut through all that. I would go back to like what you're saying about who you have on set. Yes. You know, that, that energy and atmosphere has to be there because when it gets to those moments where it's been we're approaching the 15th hour or things are not working out, you have to know that at the end of the day, you can fall back on the positivity of people in the room, the fresh eyes, the fresh minds that are supportive and there to, to make this happen. Yeah. You know, and excited and eager about it because something in that will, will, will take you a little bit further. Yeah. And it's that communal thing. Like you always hear directors go, it's a communal business. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, this yeah. is specifically what I'm talking about. And it isn't just that it's my, I, like I have this experience with other people, not just my mother that I have on these sets. That's why it's really important. Because at the end of the day, you have to make a movie for yourself. You have to have a story that you want to tell and you have to be committed to that thing. But you're also making these things for other people to watch. And whether or not you're comfortable enough with yourself to admit that as a director other people are going to watch this thing and you kind of care what they fucking think yeah. and you kind of care whether or not they're they're actually getting what it is that you're trying to say and so i think it's a smart thing to invite that around you without letting it take over you know you still have to be in control you still have to run your stuff but it's a tool man it's like it's like having like you know another set of lenses on set. It's like it's another storytelling. Well, it's piece. nice too because you, you, on your sets, there's definitely like you're saying that invitation to be able to come and you know like I think every time I've been on set with you, I was like, hey man, you don't you don't have to just hang out over here if you want to go look at the monitor and you know check things out. You can, and that's that's awesome because you you're here and you're working and you're you're focused, and excited about being there. But you at the end of the day, everybody wants to fucking see what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone wants to go peek at the monitor, and sometimes sets have such a taboo thing where like the video village is just like zipped up little room where yeah. no one's allowed to go in there except and so when you get a chance where it's invited like that it's like oh shit you get to go peek and go wow fuck so that's how they get i can see what they're doing but this is how movies end up looking like this here in the monitor because of what i'm watching happen on set that's so cool and then you, but then you know because you're allowed to have that to step away yeah 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 and and, and for me i i had that experience uh when i got in uh one of my friends, uh, one of mine and Ian friends, uh, Chris Myers, he's a producer. Uh, he's one of the Farley Brothers producers. 
and for a while uh, we were talking about doing some projects and he actually invited me down to a couple of their shoots like I was on Three Stooges and I was on a hall pass and I actually got to go down uh, I got flown down to Atlanta um, and both Peter and Bobby were like super cool they like totally welcomed us onto the sets you know, and I got a set of headphones and I got to go sit at the fucking monitor and just sort of watch how directing really works. Because most of the stuff that you see online is all propaganda. It's like, oh my God, he's such a great guy to work with and the fucking collaboration. And if you watch enough of these pieces, you start to see the formula for, yeah. for what it is. And also, no one's promoting the movie. And the actor's is like, yeah, that guy, he fucking sucks. Buy a ticket. <laughs> yeah. Come see this movie. She's a piece of shit. Buy the movie. Buy the movie. Buy the movie. <laughs> um, so... So I was fucking fascinated. Like I like for me, I was wearing the headset the whole time just to hear what the director would say to the actor and like what his because that's like the shit that they they don't teach you in film school. Like you know, what am I supposed to say to the actor? You know what I mean? Like yeah. early on, you're like, what the fuck? So I got to have that experience, and those guys um, uh, are amazing as uh, collaborators, and they literally invite in every shoot they do. They invite in their high school buddies. Their high school buddies are all like ushered in it's a whole fucking experience for these guys they come in and they every time they get put up in hotels and they're extras in the background and, and they play all this stuff and it's it's wonderful and then you see them on set literally turn into the boom op and go and like like seeing peter talk to the boom op and be like dude what are you thinking of you know and him being like yeah I know. and so for me I, I i was able to witness that at their level which was like you know big players were, were on these sets and i was like man this 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 atmosphere is what I want my movies to be like. This is this is fun. Like these guys, are, they're hiding their stress really well. Like the, the one point when I went for for Hall Pass, uh, uh, the producer brings me over to Peter, and Peter goes, "Hey, let's hang out. And I'll, I'll walk you around. I'll show you the set." And they had reconstructed like basically Cape Cod in uh, Atlanta. And so Peter's just like, hey, "Check out these houses," and he's walking me around. And he's showing me all these places. I'm like, "Dude, man." I know you got a shitload of work to do today. Yeah. You don't have to do this. This is so cool that you're you're walking me through here. He goes, oh, oh yeah, great. I really appreciate that. But come hang out with us. And and I was like, it, the idea that he took the time for fucking me, who I don't mean shit. You know, you know what I mean. Like, I, especially at that point, I I didn't even have anything done, and he was yeah. walking me around. I was like, fuck. That's that's what I want my sets to be. That's what I want. Um, the the work experience to be like so uh thank you to chris and thank you to uh peter and bobby for being such a great influence that totally translates to like this last shoot um i mean like for me one of the coolest parts was uh, i think it was like the second day um we were all having lunch and like there were no seats left so i was just sitting by you and cruda eating lunch and like when you think about like the first one of the first sets that you're going to be on is like a pa or like you know, someone that doesn't have a totally critical role, like, you'd never imagine that you'd be sitting, eating lunch with, like, the director and the DP and, like, hearing the conversation that you guys are having, but it was such, like, a welcoming environment, and everyone, like, just really wanted to be there, um, so it was super cool, and, like, you know, looking at the monitor, like, listening to what you guys are saying, it definitely translates, like, from that experience you had, you know, down the line to, to the crew. 
Good, good. I'm sure our conversation was just like fart jokes. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, mixing the Coke and all the Mexican food together. You know, Coca-Cola, not... not... <laughs> that was some wild guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you're just really excited about farting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're doing an overnight, so, right, yeah. you know, but... Uh... I want to um, go back to something you mentioned about... Um, you said how you know the things they don't teach you about how to direct, to direct actors, um, because I think it's it's also really important for as the actors to learn how to take direction, because we spend so much time focused on technique and blah 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 all the jargon, but like no one teaches how to take direction, and I think it's probably hard to because so many directors have different styles, but there's a through line, you know there's there's a way to be present and just be able to be led, you know what I mean, and yeah we have an idea what we think is right, but just to sit back and like, okay, cool. Like, let, you're steering the ship, but I'm here to do to execute whatever needs to be done. Um, and seeing this on your sets, you know, and, and other sets that I've been on, when there's an actor that doesn't take direction well, it just slows everything down, and that creates stress for the director. And you you can just watch it like it's like a crack in the windshield. You just watch it get bigger and bigger and bigger. But when you don't have that issue. When you have directors that know how to, to, to talk to the actor without full on saying, you're sad in this moment, be sad, be mad, because then you just have actors making fucking emoji faces and not really performing. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then when you have actors who are willing to be directed, everything just, it's like a well-oiled machine. It just goes so well, and you can feel it in the room. Everyone is just in such a better mood, because there's nothing, like, I don't care how you slice it, when you have the actor on set who doesn't know their fucking lines, isn't taking direction or and then it's performing like shit and we're up for like you know the 10th 11th take everyone in the room is like oh my fucking god come on man just just fucking do it yeah yeah and then that then that changes you're right man because that changes that anxiety mm -hmm. just starts to rise and as as the person in the submarine you start to get holes that yeah. are coming through in the submarine yeah. and you're just sort of smiling going guys we're not sinking <laughs> you know keep going tut, tut. looks like rain yeah what's <laughs> <laughs> um, well, interesting last because you know it's not often that i get to to chat with actors on this podcast what do you uh what is your best acting experience that you've had so far so uh, i would say um there, there's definitely two, but I'll, I'll touch on one because it's, it's from the short film we did this past summer in Texas, uh, American Fish Trap. It was directed by a good friend of mine, Chase Parker. Um, this would be the fifth short film I've done with him. Uh, he was an Emerson, Emerson graduate, and I started out, uh, honestly, I was actually going to give up acting. And he had an audition post up. Somebody sent me, recommended me. He had a short film that went to Cannes before, the year prior when he was a freshman in college. So I was like, okay, cool, fuck it. Like, let's check it out. Um, we did that, and it was a small role, and it just kind of built it from there until this past summer. I had the lead role, and I was playing um, a slave in the film. And uh, I think the way that I like to do the work is quote-unquote method. I fucking hate the term just because I feel like it just turns into a fucking PR circus. But to be, to be in a space where you are allowed to perform that way, and you're allowed to live in that character, and when the director understands that's what works for you, because you've done it with them in the past and they see your work and they see what the end result is, there's no judgment. And, it, and it's, it's hard, especially with trying to embody something so fully and live it, there's moments of insecurity already because as an actor, we're just fucking afraid that every choice we make is gonna be dog shit. But when you have someone who supports that, the rest of the crew, the whole environment stays on the positive. 
you have people who will celebrate it and it's like okay cool thanks like i don't need to be fucking patronized but i mean like you know i appreciate that everyone's respecting my work that what i'm doing is a little strange i'm barefoot in fucking west texas for a whole week and like you know my feet are bleeding and people are like oh my god wow like please don't fucking tweet about this please like i don't need let's not let's not make it that thing but it's just nice to have that respect and then you come through the full work it's emotional it's deep we have you know especially as as an actor of color you're playing you know you're in essence your ancestry and it can get very emotional there was a scene we did where um eddie troy the the other lead he uh has to rope me up and, and like beat me around and the way we like to do the work is it's like um chinatown you can't Jack Nicholson can fake the smack all day long, but the shit doesn't work. Just fucking smack her, you know? So we just do it. He just smacks me around. And afterwards, we're doing the whole thing, and they drag me over, and they rope me up, and everyone on set is super quiet. I don't think I've ever been around more white guilt in my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never been, and I've never experienced people being so nice ever, but I was like, holy shit, like, Lance, do you need water or anything? I was like, no, nah, man, I'm pretty good. Like, you know, I'm, it's just the scene. We're good. Uh, but my, my buddy, uh, Eddie Troy, he comes over to me after right after we we cut and we know like that's we got to take we're good and he's just blubbering crying and he just hugs me and i'm already a fucking mess because it's such an emotional scene i have to be there anyway but he doesn't have to be you know he can just say fuck it and be mad and walk off and just like vent off that energy and come back like hey man it was great right you know but the fact that you have that something that somebody who's willing to go that deep with their work with you that it emotionally moves them that you can have that kind of brotherhood mm-hmm. and that a director would be so open to your work as to allow you to explore this way and the whole set follows his leadership to embrace it. It's, it's I've never had an experience feel that safe. Wow. And then okay, so contrast that. What was it like being on uh, Equalizer Two? Are you allowed to talk? Oh, that about was it? the shit. Yeah, I can I can talk about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny actually because you walk onto these bigger sets and I, I never get nervous, but I always get excited, which I think is a little scarier because nerves remind you to mind your p's and q's and be fucking quiet. <laughs> Excitement has you like, oh my God, Denzel Washington. <laughs> you know, so you gotta, you have to know where to check yourself. But we, we get on set and um, I walk in and I'm like, oh shit, that's Denzel Washington. He's fucking tall in real life. Wow. And he's loud as shit. And I was like, I wasn't expecting all this energy. Wow, this guy really commands the room, you know? Um, and we get to doing um, the scenes where the first day was just uh, sort of his coverage. And then the second day we get to do, in essence, my coverage. And so I was like, wow, holy shit, you're kind of realizing that this is day two on fucking Equalizer 2. I'm here with Antoine Fuqua, who mm-hmm. directed Training Day. And mm-hmm. Here's Denzel Washington, who got an Oscar for Training Day. And they're gonna, we're doing my coverage tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and the scene that we had, I originally had audition. I read for the lead. Um, and then when they brought me back, they said, oh, well, they cast out of L.A., but we've got, um, we've got a one-liner for you, which... Is such a kick in the balls because you're like, man, I just did fucking four pages of dialogue. Like, I, I think you got an idea of what I can do. Let's just do it. But you know, you have to eat your pride and just go do it, which yeah. I'm glad I did. Right. Um, because when I get the call back and, and then later to do the scene, um, there was a second scene. And I remember in the audition, uh, Antoine Fuqua goes, okay, let's do the next scene. And I'm pissing myself. I'm like, what, what the fuck are you talking about next scene? And I'm like, please tell me Angela didn't just not give me the fucking sides. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so we do it and it's just improvised. So when we get on the day, um, Fuqua says, you know, he's like, that was great. Um, but when the day comes, I just need you to fucking cry. I was like, oh, okay, great. So no pressure. Just, you know, one of my favorite directors and probably arguably one of the best actors alive right now. And, uh, the only demand is that I be completely fucking blubbering. Cool. Awesome. Mel Gibson time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so here I am with the fucking gun in my mouth and Bugs Bunny in the background. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing this scene and, uh, it's, 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 
again, what I like to do the work is to, to fully dive in. Um, and, and my father always raised us that, you know, as a kid, he was like, you know, I don't know, this is going to sound fucked up like bad parenting, but I would say children should be seen and not heard. And so I try to treat that when I'm on set that way is that I'm, I'm here. I stay in my space. I stay in my character. Um, if, when you need me, you know, I'm easy to get a hold of. I'm right there. Um, so in this essence, with such, such an emotional moment, I stay in that space. So I'm on set while everyone's moving around and I'm just here crying, which makes me feel like a total bitch. Cause I'm like, man, that's my food quite did and I'm sitting here crying. <laughs> I feel like the biggest bitch in the room, <laughs> but you have this moment, you go through it. I'm doing all this improvisation with, with Denzel Washington because it's, you know, it's not a scripted moment per se. Um, and he just free flows with everything with me so cool. and we're laughing and joking and you know there was one moment where um, He had put this bowl of chips in my lap uh, Which out of context makes no fucking sense, but it, it makes sense in what we did and so when they're like it's just a rehearsal and then he walks away he goes to come back and I just started eating the chips like I I thought it would be funny. I was just hoping like one of the extras or like one of the other guys would see it. I get a little chuckle, like, yeah, my guy, you got it. And Denzel Washington turns around and starts laughing. He's like, oh, he's ready to work. He's ready to act. And I was like, oh, Denzel Washington thinks I'm ready to act. Um, but then the fast forward after we do the whole scene and and all this all this shit to it, um, the fact that you know, like none of it's scripted and it's so you're improvising this emotional moment with with somebody who you have to absolutely show up and go toe to toe with. You can't shrink in that moment. And Denzel Washington sits on the couch. I'm like, fuck, man, if there's ever a moment to be able to just say thank you and not look like a pretentious prick trying to get a fucking Instagram selfie with the guy, this is the moment. So I looked over to him and I was like, hey, Mr. Washington, I just, you know, thank you so much for just being available in the moment with me and playing since we didn't have any dialogue to really run with. And he reaches over, he shakes my hand, and then somebody was like, hey, D, and they start talking to him. I'm like, oh, fuck, Lance, that's right. Mind your P's and Q's, be seen, not heard. So I go to, like, back to my little space, and Denzel holds my hand still. I'm like, oh, okay. Denzel Washington uses a lot of cocoa butter. He's got some soft hands, son. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, they, he, they, they talk to me. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what were you saying? I'm like, oh, shit, I've got Denzel Washington's undivided attention right now. Wow. <laughs> so I just, I reiterate to him. And um, I told him, I said, you know, because with this scene, what it requires, and come on, man, it's with who I'm working with here today, with you guys, it's, I was worried that this was going to be really difficult. I wouldn't be able to perform. And he said, well, you know why that is, right? I said, no, Denzel Washington, why is that? <laughs> he says, well, it's expectation, because we think we're never wrong. And I said, holy shit, wow, he's right. You know, it's 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 sometimes so simple as that. Hmm. Um, and I think any actor could have given me that advice, and I would have, it would have hit just as well. But it's, it's you go into this thing, and you're going, oh, my God, I'm about to work with so-and-so. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, we're doing this feature film with Mike Pesci, and I'm going, oh, I can't wait. His movies have been doing so good. And you walk on set, and you have all this other shit, all this thing, all this stuff built up. And it's just as simple just going, man, just let, let, let all that go. Yeah. yeah. Just do the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's rad, dude. What a great experience, yeah. huh? That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, man. And what was uh, what was Fuqua like? Fuqua is probably one of the strongest leaders and most professional directors I've ever been around. Really? I mean, everyone on set refers to him as sir. He refers right back and such. Um, I've it's It almost has like a sort of undercurrent of feeling very militant. Mm-hmm. Where there's just that sort of very pressed and prestige respect, you know. Um, even the, after the, our first day of doing everyone else's coverage, and um, I go to the elevator just to go down the fucking stairs, and um, next to Fuqua comes over, and it's just him, myself, and I think maybe his assistant or somebody there with him. And he was like, "Good stuff today." I'm like, "Oh, thank you, Mr. Fuqua. I appreciate it." And he goes, "You know, uh, tomorrow's a big day, right?" "Yes, sir, I do." "Yeah, we're putting you on camera, so I need you to fucking cry." And he just gets on the elevator. And I was like, 
I think I should let Mr. Fuwa get in the elevator by himself. <laughs> but it, it was such a cool vibe. And, and I think even more to that, doing the two scenes um, and doing all the crying. And when you do that, especially with new moments like that, I think as actors, that crying gets put on such a high pedestal because one, it's, it's not as easy to get into that space mentally. But then once you do get there, it's even harder to get out of it. So it's nice to always have directors that come over and, and, and we'll just show you love. I don't need to be fucking jerked off about what I did. But if you come over and want to give me a hug or pat me on the back, you know, or just come for a second and be like, hey, good stuff. That was great. That's We, we got what we needed. Thank you. And he would do that. Um, and then when in another case, we are doing um, a lot of action is happening and I'm just reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Again, no dialogue. So I'm just... Really, really improv. Like, if, if ever a fucking actor was trying to get a line in the movie, this was the picture-perfect scenario. I'm just, like, <laughs> yelling and shouting shit. And, you know, Antoine Fuqua comes out of the video village at one point, and he's laughing. He's quoting something I said. And I was like, oh, shit. Am I quotable, bro? Like, Antoine, <laughs> training day guys quoting my shit? Wow. And so we're laughing and joking about it. And um, I said, hey, man, I'm just, you know, the resident punk ass from Boston. Like, I'm always getting my ass kicked or dying in movies or something like this. So I like, at this point, like I'm, I'm ready to act like a total pussy on camera. I've got this down pat. And he just goes, nah, man, you're just a fucking great actor. And he comes over, daps me up and walked away. And I just, nice. I was like, wow, man, you know, like it's, do we need to have our fucking gold star and a kiss on the cheek every time we do something? Absolutely not. But when it's somebody that you really look up to and you've mm-hmm. admired their work from a young age to as an adult, now where you're trying to, not I want to say break big as an actor, but to where you're trying to find respect for yourself in the work, to where you're comfortable proclaiming this as your job. And somebody of this caliber just says, hey man, good job. Yeah. It, it has a lot of value. But you have to do the work and, and get to that moment so that you can appreciate what it means to even be present for that. That's awesome, man. And there's something... Sorry, it was, it was a long story. No, that's a fantastic <laughs> story, man. Like it's, really it's not every day that... Uh, a people get to experience that, but B people get to listen about that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm always fascinated whenever I show up, and it's rare. Um, whenever I show up on like a real set, I like a real set. <laughs> whenever I show up on someone else's set, let me change that. Um, I'm always fascinated that like with all the bells and whistles, with all the bullshit, mm-hmm. the, whether it's millions of dollars, it still sort of just all comes down to like right around the camera. Yeah. It's such a wild thing to watch because it's like at the end of the day, it's still you have the camera guy, whether it's the DP or a camera operator. And, and if it's a director that likes to be right there, then he's right there. But it's it always just comes around this little space. And even on our set, I was I was saying it's, it's like being at war where like you have all these different. Uh, stages before you get to the front line so you have like video village or you'll have like uh the makeup room like one of my favorite things to do on 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 sets if i've done all my work and you have that time where everybody goes hey can you just please walk the fuck out of here so we can do our job yeah. and you go okay and so i i like to walk through and it's so cool like you go into like the makeup room and usually the makeup room typically is pretty catty typically mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of like funny sort of weird shit going on if you have like a great makeup artist great wardrobe people and uh uh, brie brie welsh was on this one she's a fucking riot um so like you go in there and that's usually where the actors are chilling Mm -hmm. most of the time 
and that's a lot of fun. And then you sort of walk out of that space, you sort of walk through uh, the uh, production design space or like the prop set dressing space. And most of the time, those people are just like up all fucking night. They're the unsung heroes, by the way, yeah. of most movies because most of the time they're <laughs> told to do shit without time to do it it's like can you set dress this entire place can you unload that whole fucking truck and i need to be on set tomorrow at like five o'clock so you guys need to be here at like noon and i need you here the whole fucking shoot because you guys have access to all the props and stuff so they're usually strung out on like fucking like caffeine and running around yeah coke and mexican food um um but they're usually my favorite fucking people and then larry He's like, <laughs> he always looks like a like an old Teddy Ruxpin doll. Like yeah. he's just his hair is all pulled out. There's some great shots that Gina took on set of him just looking like a mess, <laughs> uh, trying to get everything pulled together. Hard at work. Yeah, so you get out of like production design. So all these like little camps, and then you go over and you hang out with the the sound team, and it's usually like a two or three man crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my favorite people to hang out with who hear everything on set everything because they have a boom mic they have like all that stuff so if you ever have shit to say about the sound team make sure that you're not around an actor when you say it because mm-hmm. they hear absolutely everything you know that's that's actually uh, makes me think of yesterday i had an experience on set that that goes along with this i was going to say when you think about you as the director walking through that when you're on set and i say this one i think as for actors but especially for people doing background be fucking mindful. Yesterday, um, we're on set, we're between the take, a kid comes over to me and he goes, hey man, um, can, I, can I follow you on Instagram? I'm like, this kid has no idea. Like, I'm gonna fucking go drive Uber tonight when I drive here. Like, I'm not anybody. <laughs> and I said, yeah, sure man, of course. Like, yeah, so we exchange and he goes, you know, it's just, thank you, it's great to just connect with people that have made it. And I was like, wow, fuck. Like, I didn't even have the heart to correct him. I was like, I'm still not shit, but thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then there was a girl who was standing next to me and um, I think she hears this. Another kid now who I was chatting with throughout the night is asking, um, the, I think it was like the second unit director, somebody, she's like kind of corralling the extras. Uh, and he says, you know, it, it, is it okay if I go this way around the couch instead of that way? That way I don't get in their path, which myself and the other actors. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So the girl who's now heard this whole, oh, you're somebody that made it thing, is I think finding this moment where she wants to try to like hub nub a little bit. And she's like, oh, I hate when extras ask dumb questions like that on set. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't understand. She goes, oh, when I when I do background, I never ask any questions. I'm like, ooh, get you a fucking Oscar, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I told her, well, I'm gonna be honest with you. That's the only dumb, like I say, the only dumb question is when you don't ask. And that's a fucking great question because if he gets in our way, it slows us down. We don't hit our mark on time. That delays the other actor's moment from the dialogue to when we're supposed to enter the scene, and it's a fucking weird moment in the shot. It makes it's a perfect fucking question to ask, you know. And it's just like I think we will lose sight of the fact that we're here to do this job. And we want to try to be such an opportunist that we, we people will make these comments or try to rub elbows in the wrong way. And it's like, don't be self-serving. Exactly. You're here, be on the set, be a part of this. And at the end of the day, you could have been home, not doing shit, watching fucking Netflix, eating Doritos and being bitter about how you didn't book the audition you had last week. You're on a set, man. Like We're getting to do what we want to do. Just be grateful for that shit and ride the wave. Yeah. And also, you know, you're right. Watch what you fucking say. Yeah. It's not hard to not be a fucking decent human being. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I, as a director, I'll talk to anybody mm-hmm. in, until I get into a situation in which whatever fucking union affiliate will keep me from doing so. Yeah. But I will talk to any of the extras and anybody because they're people. Mm-hmm. And 
I often like one of my favorite things is 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 going into the uh, the uh, the craft services room when everybody's sort of sitting around having dinner, mm-hmm. and just standing there and just looking at all these folks mm-hmm. that are coming together for this. And I love to walk around and talk to everybody mm-hmm. because they're literally taking time out of their fucking right. lives to come and, and do this sort of stuff. So just be fucking cool, you know, yeah. like be chill, be cool. Um, and, and I think that's the best way to continue to get hired. Yeah. Cause being, making remarks like that or being an asshole, like I don't understand what the logic is that you think that that's going to come off fucking cool. And like now yeah. you're going to get bumped up for something like that's, that's never going to be the case. No, no. And it's, it's always going to kick in. Like mm-hmm. I won't name names, but I was, uh, when I was doing 12 cam, I had an extra come up to me and I'm in the middle of doing a shoot. I'm in the middle of doing shit. And he comes over to me and he's just like, hey, look, I really appreciate the gig. And I go, fuck yeah, man. Awesome. Like, I'm happy to have you here. And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm just having a really rough time with my life and with what's going on. And I go, and I have to sort of take my brain out of directing and just sort of look at him like another human being and be like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man. You know, that's really tough. He's like, yeah, I have no money in my bank account. And I was like, cool. Why are you telling me this right now? And he's like, well, it would be nice if I had some money in my bank account. It'd be nice if I had, you know, like just a little bit more money, maybe some money for like gas or some travel and shit. And I was just like, oh, so you're interrupting me right now because you want to renegotiate how much money you're making on this thing. Trying to fucking fleece you right now. (laughs) Right now. Like this is a thing that's going on right now. It's like, and I just walked away from him. I was like, look, we'll figure it out. We'll talk later. And I walked over to the assistant director. I'm like, let's shoot him out and get him the fuck out of here right now. Yeah. Just because I don't. Like, he doesn't, obviously, he's not here because he wants to be here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's here for other reasons, but, you know, uh, I don't need that. I don't need yeah. that. I don't fucking that. Need mindset that mindset is, is, you know, you're, you have extras, especially in holding. They're talking, and it's a lot of a gripe session in that room, and you have that guy that's putting that poison in the ether, and next yeah. thing you know, more people are thinking that. The next thing you have, you know, and, and, and this this is a whole other fucking thing, but it's it's people that get on set and are so focused on the well when are we getting paid for this are we going overtime well what time is lunch well with this i i I see actors do this shit all the time and i'm like you know what like there was an actor recently on a set who was there it was their first uh, time doing film yeah um came from some theater background uh and 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 that's that's what the dialogue is all day is well if we go overtime then what rate do we get now how does this change well are we doing lunch what time is it what time are we going to be around who gives a fuck like to me, if we have 15 hours and someone's like, hey, Lance, um, we gotta just do one more shot, man. You don't mind? Like, motherfucker, we could be here for two more hours. Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Who gives yeah. a fuck? Like, we're gonna eat. Well, trust me, everyone here is hungry. Everyone here is tired. Everyone has someone to go home to or kids or some other shit they gotta take care of. You're not fucking special or alone in that. Yeah. Just be here and appreciate the fact that we are here doing this. Yeah, man. And, and, and you know, to reiterate that, if he had come over to me and been like, hey, why did you move the camera this way? Or like, why, you know, why, you know, why are you blocking this this way? I would have been totally happy to be like, no, here's, here's, here's what it is. And this is why we're doing yeah. it. So it's, I think that if you are an extra and I think if you are someone that's new to the set, I, I don't think you should be afraid. I think you should have some common fucking sense, A, yeah. and be able to, to read the room and yeah. go like, this is when I should say something. This is when I shouldn't say something. But then, um, you know, I know there's a lot of other filmmakers that, that run their sets differently, but the way I run my set, you're allowed to, you can come and talk to me. Yeah. That's not a big deal. I don't, I'm not a fucking king. 
You know what I mean? And I think that there's a lot of that runs rampant in this business yeah. where it's like, I'm in charge now. Like, this is my fucking time. This is my moment yeah. to fucking lord over all these fucking people. Like, I, I don't get that. Yeah. Like, literally, I'm calling you and thanking you for fucking coming down and working on this thing. Like, like in every position is incredibly important. Mm. Every position is important. Like, if Dave doesn't fucking log his shit right... And if stuff doesn't happen, I'll get in the edit room and we could potentially lose thousands of dollars worth of shit just because mm -hmm. one clip gets goes missing. Yeah. And, you know, so like everybody is important on that set. And I think that it goes both ways. I think that actors uh, and, and new PAs and people on set should just be aware and understanding of mm -hmm. that. But I think that directors and people at the top of the line should also check themselves a bit. Yeah. Because, I mean, I come from... Uh, a business I used to house paint I used to be an airplane mechanic I used to fucking do all that stuff and that's crew mentality and you you go and you you wake up at 6 o'clock in the fucking morning you climb into a fucking truck you know you have your little bag fucking lunch and you get pulled off and you're climbing a ladder on the side of the house and you're painting and scraping and then you're getting back in there again it's yeah. the same game the only difference is that there isn't any fucking ego there mm -hmm. it's only in filmmaking that people are like uh, where's craft services? Where's yeah. my fucking brisket lunch? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, when do we get overtime? When do we get all this stuff? It's yeah. like only in this business do you get all these wonderful fucking things. Mm -hmm. Seriously. So, and it's a choice to allow yourself to get spoiled by certain things and, and become pretentious about it. Yeah. You know, if, if the fucking PA brings you your coffee, you don't say, oh, this doesn't have cream in it. Well, yeah, dude, who gives a fuck? Take the coffee. Hey, thank you so much. Then take your ass over later when you have a moment and get your own fucking coffee. If the PA sees it and feels bad, hey man, no big deal. I had cream in it, but I don't care, man. It's not a big deal. I just got it myself. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm working hard already. And do it because you're a good person. Yeah, like but even if you're not a good fucking person, and even if you're someone that is like out for your fucking career, yeah. then also understand that that PA is probably going to be your fucking director in two years. Yeah, that's another thing. There was um, a feed that actually the feature I'm working on now. The director was the um, second cam for um, a studio feature that was here in Boston. And one of the kids that got cast in this was cast in that solely because he had like a one line in that thing. And he was joking about how like they didn't even use his coverage and let the, they just basically saw the back of his head. And the director laughed and he said, yeah, he's like, I actually remember you from that. This is why I cast you because I felt bad. We only saw the back of your head. And when you came in for this, I was like, oh, this would be a great opportunity <laughs> to give this kid something else, you know? And I said, yeah, see, that's the thing. If he would have been on that set and acted like an asshole, then he comes into audition and you see this guy, you might go, man, that guy looks familiar. The director knows, ah, oh, yeah, no, nope. And at whatever time and ability you put into preparing that, that audition doesn't mean shit because the director remembers like, yeah, no, I'm definitely not working with that kid. Yep. You know? Yep. Because, I mean, when you're casting, and I, I love how on the tangent that we've got off on this, I think we're going on a good spot. Uh, casting is such a fucking hard thing um, from our end of the couch and your end of the couch. You know what I mean? Like, I can't fucking imagine being on that end of the couch. The whole, like, my product is my, my myself, my product is my face, my product is who I am, and then I have to go in for this stuff. And then on the other end of the couch, it's it's mostly, even mostly in commercials, it's, it's like I'm buying fucking couches. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's down to that same level of, like, okay, I need to fit this couch in the room. It needs to be a certain color. It needs to have a certain fucking height. It needs to be the, all this stuff. So like bring them through, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I equated to that because when I had to buy couches, it was as laborious as casting can be where you're just sort of looking at these superficial fucking things mm -hmm. and you're casting for that. Um, 
I hate casting. I hate casting sessions. I really yeah, it's, do. It's, it's funny because there there are so many times where you have to learn one to just let it go after the audition because there's so much that's out of your control. Yeah, you could come in and be a rock star. I think especially for ladies, this is gonna where I'm gonna go with this. I think fits hits for them a lot more. You you're a rock star in your audition. It's fantastic. They love everything you're doing. You've got the you're up for the supporting role. But you're five nine and Tom Cruise is five six. Yeah. And that's not gonna look as good on camera, so we're not gonna use you. Yeah. Or you're really good, but this girl has like five hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Half of those people would buy a ticket probably. That's a pretty good chunk back into our budget. Gonna go with her instead. You know, and I it's those things that just get stacked against you to where like you literally just have to go in, do the best thing you did, and leave and fuck it. Yeah. And then hope that again, whoever maybe the person that was behind the camera during the audition one day directs something or is in charge of casting next time, or that the casting director just loves what you did and brings you back in, or that director sees you and is like, Hey, you want right for this, but like I got something else. Yep. You know? And yep. you just ride again, you ride the wave and just go until it's a no. That's a great way to be, man. Because it's <clears throat> there are so many elements just to get going. There are so many elements that weigh against a project. Mm-hmm. And then when you get down to like finally getting the money, finally getting everything, finally getting everything that you need there. And then you're as a, a director's arguing for both sides of it going like, I need this person. I love this fucking person. They're great. And yeah. the producer says like, uh, if you get that fucking person, then we have like $4 million less. And yeah. you're just sort of like, okay. What do I do? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So like it, it's the whole, it's the whole thing. It's the whole fucking yeah. system. And at the end of the day, it's all about who the audience wants to look at. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, where the conver- the conversation goes into uh, as an actor, if you want to be leader supporting, because we yeah. talked about this before, where yeah. as the the leading man or a leading woman, you carry this movie as terms of marketing and everything that happens outside of the performance. And I think that's that's like that's a lot of weight to have, you know. And I. But I, we have to understand that and appreciate it before we're getting to the casting process because you can't go into it so irritable and pissy if you don't get it. You got to understand that there's that other part of the business that exists and that there might be who knows how many factors for why somebody else was just a better fit for it. And that's okay. Yeah. Because eventually you'll be the guy where they're a guy or girl where they're going, oh, we, you know, we got to get so and so because that really bumps up this budget if we get them. And you're like, wow, fuck, I'm that person now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's got to be tough, though, because at the end of the day, you know, you're you're expecting people to come in with a personality. You're yeah. expecting people to come in mm-hmm. physically to, to represent themselves physically. Right, right. And, and, that you know, as a director, I can hide behind my work. Mm-hmm. So, like, if someone's like, I didn't like that fucking movie, yeah. I could still go to the grocery store. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And not be judged yeah. on, on what it is. So I have a, the utmost respect for actors because mm. uh, I need I need them as much as I need a camera, yeah. if not more than I need okay. a camera. It's, it's funny to think that. Just like fucking, even, like, Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds. Like, I don't even know who the director was on that. But Ryan Reynolds can't wear green anymore ever in his life. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. It's just like that's all on you. Exactly. And most of the time, that's the deal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Willis movies, Bruce Willis, yeah. Bruce Willis movies. You know, it's like, cool. How many people know that Richard Donner directed fucking uh, Lethal Weapon? Yeah. Unless you're a fucking nerd in the business, mm-hmm. the average Joe doesn't know that the same guy that directed Lethal Weapon also directed The Goonies. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they just don't fucking put those pieces together. Well, this is where, too, I think... You, we have to inundate ourselves with this, you know, doing things like this. Like, 
listen to the podcast, watch the interviews. There's so much out there. Hollywood Reporter has the roundtable. Yeah, they're good. Hollywood Reporter has the Award Shatter podcast. You know, there's all types of different things out there for you to listen to these people that have quote unquote made it or that we have admired from childhood that you can get a chance to hear them share the war stories or the, the glamour and the hard stuff and understand more and connect those dots. Like you watch, uh, for example, like I'm just using the round table as a great example. You watch the like the director's round table and you go, oh shit, so-and-so also directed this movie over here? I didn't know yeah. that. And you hear them talk about things or hear them talk about their casting process, hear them go on and on and you get to understand this business more and more until eventually you are feeling like, I'm like a fucking human IMDB now. I know this shit. And there's something in that that I think absolutely goes back into those 10,000 hours. It's not 10,000 hours of you being on set actually physically acting. It's, it's not that. It's it's the 10,000 hours of going through the process, mm-hmm. learning it, mm-hmm. listening to things, reading things. You don't need to go check the boxes in college to be fucking great at what you do. But you do have to put the work in somewhere if you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. If you can, ha- if you have it available to, to go and get the education, by all means, fucking do it, man. If I had that opportunity to go to film school right now or acting school, I'm doing it. But I didn't have that opportunity. So you have to then go, okay, well, how can I facilitate the education on my own? Because I can't just rely on that. I think I'm good at this. you got to find out a way to, to grow constantly. So that when the opportunities do come, you're professional mm-hmm. from day one. I think that's a good place to end it, Lance. Boom. Boom. That was good. That was nice. That was good. Dave, can you talk less next time, please? Yes. <laughs> no, honestly, I was so I was so just like an audience member, like just in awe of this conversation. It was so great, and Thank you, man. especially after that, like I feel like a big part of that ten thousand hours is someone who's just starting them mm-hmm. is like demystifying everything, oh, just yeah. being in real situations and real scenarios. Yeah, just getting comfortable with it. And this is, I mean, this right here is like an hour down, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy that it does that for you, man. And and that time in, that time in, you should love it. Mm -hmm. Like that that 10,000 hours ends up becoming the rest of your fucking life. Like once you get through that 10,000 hours or whatever it takes, Mm -hmm. you then come to realize this is the fucking job. Like mm-hmm. more of my job is all of that than it actually is yeah. directing. Yeah. So you got to love that shit. Absolutely. You have to. And you have to be in love with hanging out with folks. You have to be in love with like uh, talking to people. And I, I just, I, I cannot imagine being an introvert and being scared of people and then directing movies. Yeah. I, I just don't know how that works. Um, thankfully, it's not my way. Thank you for chatting with us, Lance. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, man. And thank you, Dave. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, thank you, everybody listening. Um, I hope that uh, you uh, got something. Hopefully, uh, you learned a little something from it. Hopefully, uh, we sounded not like arrogant shits. <laughs> I was just trying to sound like Richard Armitage the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he plays back, and I nailed it, and I feel good. <laughs> So I appreciate you guys listening. Um, that concludes this episode of In Love With The Process. Um, we'll probably bang out a couple more. Um, I want to try to get some done before I end up having to go and do the pitching and the the, uh, the pushing of this new movie. Uh, keep following me at uh, Mike Petchy on Instagram. 
uh, for an updates on this film that we talk so much about that you guys, I can't really tell you what it's called yet. <laughs> it's such a dick move. Um, so uh, follow me on Mike Pecci. Uh, Instagram. Also, uh, check us out at uh, McFarlandPesci.com uh, for the new stuff that we're working on. Uh, Ian's amazing new film that he's doing, uh, The Godfather's a Hardcore. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys listening and uh, I love you. All right, so uh, let me do some reads uh, for the sponsors. Uh, first up is our uh, my favorite sponsor, the guys that have stuck behind me for the past couple of years. Um, and they continue to help support uh, not only this podcast, but also we're a main supporter on the new film. Uh, Puget Systems. Are you looking to make that switch from PC to Mac? Are you tired of those bloated Apple prices? Go to PugetSystems.com and check out their custom PC options for video editing. Uh, literally, you can go over to the website and do sort of a pull down and uh, choose the kind of work that you do and they'll suggest uh, a base package that they make for that. Um, but then these guys are completely approachable. Uh, you can actually sit down and talk to them about what it is that you specifically do and they'll build you out a custom system. Um, we have two systems that we run a nonstop at, at the McFarland and Pesci offices. They're actually running today. And the dudes from Puget built us a special uh, digital transfer station uh, for on set on this last film that Dave was on, right? You were using it. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And the guys uh, were actually there helping to the second day, which was really, really awesome. So they showed me all the ins and outs and everything. Nice, nice. And this is the first time that I've actually had, which I loved, this is the first time that I've actually had an edit system on set and it was super cool. It was like in this creepy fucking house. You'd actually come off of the shoot, haze and smoke in this room and then you'd walk into this other super creepy room and there bathed in like monitor light was Dave. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so what were you doing? You were syncing up footage and- uh, Yeah, I was transferring everything over, throwing it into Premiere, logging everything, syncing it up. And it was cool because uh, as we really got going, um, I would be watching stuff like 10 minutes after you guys just shot it. Um, so it was like, the turnaround was super quick. Uh, it was great. It was great for a lot of the crew too because they could actually stand over a shoulder and see how shots were cutting together. Um, and uh, the difference between doing that on my standard little, my little laptop that I have, is that uh, we were shooting at 4K. Um, and so we were able to see all this stuff real time. We were actually uh, putting it through to our Azo uh, 4K monitor. Uh, that we'll talk about in a second. So we were able to see all that. And so the DP was able to come in to make sure that uh, the lighting had some sort of continuity. And then uh, most of our other team could come in and see performances and stuff. Um, so it was really cool. The dudes from Puget are, uh, I think they're gonna get into building these data transfer things. It actually came in like a little Pelican case. It was like super easy to set up. Um, so if you guys are nerds about that shit, go to PugetSystems.com. Check them out. I have nothing but amazing things to say about them. And with all the money that I saved on uh, buying my edit systems, I was able to make a movie. So go to PugetSystems.com. Okay, so next up, Rule Boston Camera. Are you looking to rent equipment for your new film? I got a corporate job that requires better gear than the stuff that you own? Then go see the guys from Rule and they will introduce you to some of the sweetest new stuff that you can play with. Uh, they helped me out big time on uh, the new film. Um, and uh, whether it's with the renting gear and getting the new equipment or actually letting me go hang out at their brand new offices out here in Newton, actually, um, and shooting uh, special effects plates for the film. Um, we actually went in and uh, tested out some of their brand new anamorphics that they have. 
think they have the Koa anamorphics. Um, anamorphic lenses, by the way. And we went in and shot uh, all sorts of different flares that we're going to composite and post um, and make look cool. Not like those J.J. Abrams flares, but like cool flares that look natural flares, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, Rule Boston Camera, definitely check them out. Um, they're my favorite place to rent from. All right. Azo Monitors. So at McFarland Pesci, we just got our hands on the new Azo CG318 4K monitor. Uh, this thing is gorgeous. It's a self-calibrating monitor that uh, when you set it up in whatever space you're in, it sort of takes readings of, of the room and the lighting and will set the colors on your monitor to be perfect and true every time. Um, and uh, we are, I think Tony right now is actually in there coloring the new stuff from Bose and Better Sound Sessions that we shot. And if you've seen previous episodes of that, you'll see that I go fucking crazy with color on those things. They're fucking batshit. Um, and it's really important for us when we're in post to have a monitor that is accurately displaying what you at home are going to see because we can easily get off on a tirade that looks like shit. So uh, definitely if you are looking for the best of the best, Azo. Go to azo.com. Check out the new 4K monitors. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, so the last plug I'm going to do, obviously, is for McFarland and Pesci. I'm going to do a little hometown plug. Uh, go to McFarlandPesci.com to check out the latest stuff that Ian and I have been working on. Ian has been killing it with his new film, The Godfathers of Hardcore. Uh, if you guys haven't heard about this, it's this amazing piece on the band Agnostic Front, um, one of the godfathers of the hardcore music scene out of New York City. Um, and it isn't just a music doc. A lot of folks think it's just like a standard rock doc. It's actually this really touching piece on aging. And this is a really interesting look at um, artists who have created what their whole vibe is back when they were kids and teenagers and how they develop as they get older. Um, it's an amazing piece. He's been running the festival circuit with it, um, with uh, sold out screenings and standing ovations. Um, next week, if you're here in the city, and hopefully this podcast will come out quick, Dave. Um, next week, I think next Saturday on the 28th, Ian is going to be having the first screening that we have here in Boston. So if you want a free ticket, Dave, you should probably ask Ian. Uh, if you want a free ticket, you should probably ask Ian. Um, but it's screening at uh, the Brattle uh, on the 28th. Uh, so check that out. Uh, follow Ian on Instagram. I think it's Ian underscore McFarland. Uh, if you want to know more about what's going on with The Godfathers of Hardcore, and go to McFarlandAndPesci.com to see all the cool shit that we've been working on, and that is the easiest place to hire me. Please hire me, because I have no fucking money right now. Thank you. Um, so I think that's it for this episode. Uh, we're going to continue this, because I got these guys here. We'll do a second episode. We'll get even further into the production on this new film, title of which I cannot tell you. I know it's fucking frustrating, but I know it's, I can, it's frustrating that I can't tell you what the title is either, so you just going to have to live with that. Um, so thanks for listening guys and um, maybe these will come out more frequently maybe they won't you don't fucking pay me what's it matter okay I'll see you later bye